Abraham Lincoln said, We the people are the rightful masters of both Congress and the courts, not to overthrow the Constitution, but to overthrow the men who pervert the Constitution. Welcome to the intersection of faith and the culture. This is Wall Builders Live, where we're talking about today's hottest topics on policy and faith and the culture. We always do that from a biblical, historical, and constitutional perspective, and we ask that you share that perspective with your friends and family. You can be kind of like the Paul Revere of your day, you know, warning your neighbors, letting them know we're losing that perspective. We've got to come back to that perspective if we want to save our constitutional republic. So today we're talking to David Barton. He's America's premier historian and our founder here at Wild Boulders. Tim Barton is with us. He's a national speaker and pastor and the president of Wild Boulders. And my name is Rick Green. I'm a former Texas legislator. You can find out more about all three of us at wildbuilderslive.com. That's our radio site with a list of the 300 stations around the country. Just click on the map there and you can find out which one's close to you. And it also has archives, so you can listen to programs over the last few weeks if you missed any of those. And there's a lot of great content there for you. It'll equip and inspire you, telling you go check it out, wallbuilderslive.com. And then also check out wallbuilders.com, our main website, and that's where you can get all kinds of great tools for yourself and your family. Lots of great things that will equip and inspire you. So today we have what we call Foundations of Freedom Thursday. So this is a little bit different from the other days of the week. Uh, it's the one day of the week that we actually take questions. You can send those in by emailing us, radio at wallbuilders.com, radio at wallbuilders.com. And people have questions on founding fathers, on uh, constitutional issues, uh, cases that are happening right now, questions about policy, uh, maybe just something in history. Whatever your particular question is, please send it in, radio at wallbuilders.com, and we'll get to as many of those today as we possibly can. David, Tim, here we go. Foundations of Freedom Thursday. Are you all ready for some questions? You bet. Ben's got the first one, and it's about the Supreme Court, and it's about how many are on the Supreme Court. And you would think the question would be, how do they pack the court? What kind of law has to be passed? Is that constitutional? But it's actually the opposite. So it's a pretty interesting question today. He said, hey, David, Tim, and Rick, we all know there's been discussions in D.C. about passing a law changing the number of justices on the Supreme Court. If a law were passed reducing the number of justices on the court, would it affect currently serving justices? Article 3, Section 1 establishes the Supreme Court and it establishes federal judges, including uh, Supreme Court justices appointed for life. Well, it doesn't say life. Everybody knows. And he says that even in here, subject to good behavior. I shouldn't say everybody knows. Most people don't know. Uh, but based on Article 1, justices and judges can be removed from office by impeachment, which requires a vote in the House and then two-thirds majority vote in the Senate. That's a lot higher, significantly higher than the simple majority vote required to pass a law. So he's got a great question here, guys. What if this happened? What if they said, well, we want to reduce it down to seven because, say, they want to get rid of a couple of justices? What happens at that point? Because that would be sort of an end run, right? I mean, you'd be impeaching and you'd have to. And then which ones do you pick? The longest serving? What's your uh, you know, what's your formula at that point for getting rid of a, a couple of people on the Supreme Court? Great question, Ben. All right, guys, what do you all think? Well, I think if something like this were to happen, what they logically would do is just whenever there are two spots open, they would not refill them. Um, I, I think that's way more logical and reasonable uh, than saying we're going to remove two because then it certainly does become much more arbitrary how you choose the two you're going to remove. Yeah, you yeah. cannot remove two, even if you say you're going to, except voluntarily. You can remove them involuntarily if they've done misbehavior, bad behavior, and you impeach them and get that two-thirds margin. But, Tim, you're exactly right. What happens is... The, the first person to retire, that would not be refilled. The second person to retire, that would not be refilled. And then when they got to seven, the third person to retire, they would refill that slot. 
So if they reduced it to seven, and by the way, uh, the Constitution gives Congress the right to set whatever number of justices they want. It was six under George Washington. It's been nine for now for the last century and a, and a quarter. Uh, it was eight for a long time. So it can be whatever. If Congress wants to make it 33 or if they want to make it two, and as our friend Steve King, a congressman from Iowa, used to say, he said, listen, he said, constitutionally, Congress has the constitutional authority to reduce the entire Supreme Court to Chief Justice John Roberts sitting at a card table with a candle. And he's exactly yeah. right. If, if, if Congress wants to take it down to one judge, all they have to do is they have to have a Supreme Court. That's all that's required by the Constitution. Not even the Court of Appeals is a constitutional requirement. Uh, the district courts are not constitutional requirements, just a Supreme Court. That's all. The Constitution says that all those lower courts, they come at Congress's will. If Congress wants to have lower courts, they can. If they want to have courts of appeal, that's up to Congress. So it's a great question. Uh, you could not take anyone off unless they had done misbehavior, but you could let it go down by attrition as judges retire. And by the way, some justices don't wait till they die on the court. You know, Justice Souter retired a long time ago, and he's still alive today. So you have justices that retire sometimes well before late years or well before they die on the court like Scalia did. Yeah, and I, and I think, uh, if I remember right, there was a time early on where it went up to 10 and and to go back to 9, and it was a real short period of time, they did exactly what Tim just suggested, which is they somebody, it was a vacancy. And so after the vacancy, then they went to 9. So that that would be the most uh, most likely if they did decide to do it. But really interesting question. Ben, thanks for, thanks for sending that in. We're going to go to our next question now. This one is from Bill, and it's about the Treaty of Tripoli. Someone brought Article 11 of the Treaty of Tripoli to my attention as the government of the United States of America is not in any sense founded on the Christian religion, comma, very important comma, uh, as it has in itself no character of enmity against the laws, religion, or tranquility of Muslimen, mean Muslims, and as the said states never have entered into any way or act of hostility against any Mahatman nation, it is declared by the parties that no pretext arising from religious opinion shall ever produce an interruption of the harmony existing between the two countries. Uh, unquote. Okay, so he, he at least he gives the whole quote. Thank you very much, uh, Bill. Most people just do that first line, stop at the comma, and act like there's a period there. He goes on to say, this seems out of character for the founding era, so I assume there's context that is missing. Please help me understand why Adams and the early Congresses would say this. Great, great question. And guys, it's been a long time since we covered this one. David, I know you covered original intent from, what, 20 years ago or so, and uh, we used to get asked this one in debates a lot, but uh, man, first time anybody's asked in a while. Well, we also have an article on the Wobblers website. Uh, there's more than one that deals with this, but uh, the Treaty of Tripoli is something that we go into much greater detail. A lot of footnotes in that article, Rick, as you mentioned, original intent. There is way more context, and it's a great question identifying the fact it doesn't seem in character with the Founding Fathers. Well, it's because it wasn't really in character with the Founding Fathers, especially when you look at the fact that there were multiple treaties coming from Tripoli and only one of them said this, and of those treaties, many of them were within a couple of years of each other. So lots of treaties in a short period of time. This is the only one that says that, and there's lots and lots and lots of things we could point to. First of all, the reality that if you look at some of the conflict between what the Muslims identified as the Christian nations and then what were the Muslim nations, and the Christian nations, whether it be a Spain or an England or places where there had been crusades— and they had had some of these holy wars, so to speak, well, kind of the way both sides viewed it. The Muslims and the Christians viewed this as a holy war. The, the Treaty of Tripoli identifies that, that America is, is not in any sense found in the Christian religion as these other nations who have gone to war with you and done that. So all we're doing is clarifying that we're not that kind of Christian nation. But 
of the many factors that's important to know, go back and look the Treaty of Tripoli. What language was it originally written in? That's important. And then look up of the guys who were there, which of them spoke or read those languages, uh, which would be none of them. And so when the treaty was agreed to, they actually didn't know what was written in the treaty. They they knew what the interpreter told them. They knew what the diplomat told them, it said, but they didn't know what it was. And ultimately, right, their goal was to try to find peace. It wasn't about slamming Americans, saying America wasn't a Christian nation or didn't have Christian values, but they didn't actually even read the treaty. So the treaty was agreed to and signed by people who didn't even know what the treaty said. And I'm not saying that doesn't mean that it was not read to them. I'm just saying there's a there's a lot more to this story than what most people realize. And then if you go to the people who are involved in this, and Dad, I know you've talked about this a lot with some of the 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 naval commanders who were there. And when they're reporting back to Jefferson, when they're reporting back to John Adams, when they're explaining some of what they're dealing with, and they're explaining that the Muslims themselves say that it is their obligation to be good Muslims as part of the Quran that they're supposed to war against all Christians and Christian nations. So the Muslims themselves were calling the Americans Christians and calling America a Christian nation. And so there certainly is way more context to this than most people identify. It's not a one line. It's a period and it's done. Some of these details are things, again, we get into a little bit in the article on our website the Treaty of Tripoli, we give some of these details. There's a lot of footnotes. It'll give a lot more context to point out there's a lot more to the story. Uh, but but I would say start there just to understand that the way it's argued today is not entirely accurate. Again, the fact that there were lots of treaties in that in, in this, this era of war with these Muslim nations, and this is the only one that says that. Well, there was ones before this and after this, and none of them said that. Why? Because that wasn't the essence of what the treaty was about. And this is also where the Americans largely were probably trying to logically explain to them, like, hey, guys, we're not the same kind of Christian nation as England. We're not the same kind of Christian nation as Spain. We're a bit different than those guys. That's much more of how that article should be read. That's what that tone is of that portion of the Treaty of Tripoli. And you have to take this, as Tim, as you said, in historical context. This is one of eight treaties that was negotiated over a 32-year war that Muslims had against America. And it was a 32-year war against terror. It was our first war against terror. And contrary to what Joe Biden said, the longest war in American history was not the war uh, from 9-11 up till he withdrew us from Afghanistan. That was only 20 years. This was a 32-year war. And over that 32-year war, it spanned, it spanned through four presidents. It spanned before that. It took the Continental Congress. 32 years, Muslim nations had been attacking Christian nations. Well, I'd love to also insert here that— even this notion that we had a 20-year war in Afghanistan and we were not in Afghanistan having a war for 20 That's years because right. even the military base that was there, we had a small contingent of soldiers that were aiding the actual nations right. in their fight against some of this Islamic extremism and terrorism. So so we weren't actually the ones on the ground doing the war. We were giving some overwatch and aid and surveillance and we were giving tactics and strategy and advice. We were not in an ongoing war, and the idea, well, we shouldn't have any troops there. Again, it's a pretty ridiculous idea when you look at the fact that we still have huge contingents of troops in Germany and Japan. It's a bit after World War II. Why do we still have troops there? Because we had base there, and we recognized in order to maintain peace, in order for the stability of the land, it would be better if there were Americans who were left behind to help bring stability, to help ensure there was peace. 
and we haven't been at war with Germany for the last 80 years. No, that that's that's not why we have troops there. It's not because we've been at war for 80 years. So even the idea that Joe Biden is, would suggest because we had still had troops there, we were still at war there. That's also a very inaccurate statement, as opposed to going back to this 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 Tripoli battle, the battle against the Barbary pirates. This was an ongoing thing. And you could argue, well, yeah, but there were there were all these peace treaties. Well, why did there have to be eight of them? Because the Muslim pirates kept violating the treaty and the treaty was then discarded. So then we had to go back and we would fight them. We would we would try to make a new peace with them and then peace would be agreed. And also it's a complication when you have several Muslim nations from North Africa, you might make a, a treaty that some people agree to, but then there's other leaders that rise up and they say, ah, we don't like that. We're doing something different because this is not about conquering a nation or nation's military that this is an ideology you were battling and you were battling this ideology on multiple fronts in multiple nations. And that's why there were so many treaties. And that's why ultimately this this war lasted for more than three decades. Now, what's interesting is in that 32 years of war, and it was nine different nations that were fighting with America because the Muslims attacked those nine nations, said, you guys are Christian nations, we're Muslim nations, we're required by the Quran to attack you. And that's in a letter that Thomas Jefferson and John Adams have from the Muslim ambassador when they were trying to negotiate peace. He said, no, 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 our Koran requires that we attack you. So there was France and there was Italy and there was England and there was Netherlands and there was Spain and there was America. There were nine nations being attacked. The problem was we didn't have a Navy at the time. So we were paying high bribery, uh, the jitsu, the, the tax. We were paying a high amount up to up to 15% of our entire federal budget. We were spending on Muslim terrorists to keep them from attacking us because we had no way to defend. It was their attacks that caused us to start the Navy on a permanent basis. George Washington asked for that his seventh year. They built it under John Adams, and then Thomas Jefferson took it and went to war against the Muslims. So in those eight treaties, every single one of the eight treaties say, hey, look, you guys are Christian nations. We're Muslim nations. And we said, yeah, that's true, but we don't have any inherent hostility against you like the historic Christian nations. And that's why that that clause, that, that Article 11 is so important it's 82 words in that clause. Most academics today quote only 19 words. Uh, for a long time, I saw that uh, a quote where they attributed George Washington, where George Washington said, the government of the United States is in no sense founded on the Christian religion. Well, this treaty wasn't done with George Washington. It was done when John Adams was in. So now they say, John Adams said, the government of the United States is in no sense founded on the Christian religion. That's not what it says. It says, the government of the United States is in no sense founded on the Christian religion as having an inherent hostility against Muslim nations, and only it goes for 82 words. So it doesn't say we're not a Christian nation. It just says we're not the Christian nation that used to attack you guys all the time. And so that's, that's what this was, and it's significant that even in this treaty, and as Tim pointed out, nobody that negotiated spoke Arabic. So Joel Barlow was one of the negotiators. He took it, and it was translated from Arabic to Italian. Then Joe Barlow took it from Italian, translated to English, and in the Arabic version, there is no Article 11. This clause does not even appear. Joel Barlow put it in, and the translation from the Italian to the English, who knows why he put it in, but it didn't even in the original treaty. So now it's in the treaty that came to the United States from Joel Barlow, but why did he put it in? Who knows? Who has a clue? So anybody that tries to use this to say America was not a Christian nation— the best you can say is America was not a Christian nation like they had in the Inquisition and the Crusades and et cetera. We were a biblical nation who didn't believe in coercing other nations because of their faith. And that's exactly what this treaty says. It's a great question. 
People need to know about this because academics use this on a regular basis. Kids will get this at college on a regular basis. This will pop up in editorials and newspapers on a regular basis, all trying to undermine Christianity in America. It has nothing to do with that. It's historical European Christianity versus American Christianity, coercive Christianity versus free will Christianity, which is what America practiced. All right, guys, we're going to take a quick break. We've got more questions coming from the audience when we return. You're listening to Wall Builders. Thomas Jefferson said, The Constitution of most of our states and of the United States assert that all power is inherent in the people that they may exercise it by themselves, that it is their right and duty to be at all times armed, that they are entitled to freedom of person, freedom of religion, freedom of property, and freedom of press. Hey, this is Tim Barton with Wall Builders. And as you've had the opportunity to listen to Wall Builders Live, you've probably heard the wealth of information about our nation, about our spiritual heritage, about the religious liberties, about all the things that makes America exceptional. And you might be thinking, as incredible as this information is, I wish there was a way that I could get one of the Wall Builders guys to come to my area and share with my group, whether it be a church, whether it be a Christian school or public school or some political event or activity. If you're interested in having a Wall Builder speaker come to your area, you can get on our website at www.wallbuilders.com and there's a tab for scheduling. And if you'll click on that tab, you'll notice there's a list of information from speakers' bios to events that are already going on. And there's a section where you can request an event to bring this information about who we are, where we came from, our religious liberties and freedoms. Go to the Wall Builders website and bring a speaker to your area. This is Tim Barton from Wall Builders with another moment from American history. The year after the American War for Independence ended, we began addressing the issue of Muslim terrorists in North Africa who were attacking American ships and killing and enslaving American seamen. Congress dispatched John Adams and Thomas Jefferson to negotiate peace, and when they asked the Muslim ambassador the reason for the unprovoked attacks, he told them that it was written in their Quran, that it was their right and duty to make war upon them whenever they could be found. 16 years of negotiations failed, and in 1801, America sent its military to crush the terrorists. When that war ended in 1805, the first American edition of the Quran was published, urging Americans to read the Quran to see for themselves that its teachings were incompatible with the safety and peace of non-Muslims. To see the first American Quran and to get more information about America's first war on Islamic terror, go to wallbuilders.com. President Calvin Coolidge said, The more I study the Constitution, the more I realize that no other document devised by the hand of man has brought so much progress and happiness to humanity. To live under the American Constitution is the greatest political privilege that was ever accorded to the human race. We're back here, Wobblers. Thanks for staying with us on this Foundations of Freedom Thursday. Next question comes all the way from San Diego. Scott said, we always hear, uh, he actually said hello from the California conservative uh, underground. I like that. We always hear that the House holds the purse strings. I guess that means they control the spending. I understand that all spending bills uh, supposedly start in the House, but I don't know what they can do if the Senate isn't agreeable to what the House says. How can they unilaterally stop the mad overspending? Can they shut off funds for programs already passed? It seems that all they do is not allow future spending bills to go through. Okay, great process question, guys. We got a new Republican Congress coming in, new House, and then the Senate, uh, you know, uh, will be split again. So, can the House on its own stop some of the out of control spending? No. 
Next question. <laughs> all right, next question comes from now. Now, wait a second, right? If if all spending originates in the house, then they should be able to say we're not going to fund that unless. See, here's where the tactics come in. There's a lot of ways of getting around provisions like that because all spending has to originate in the house. It has to go there which means it has to be approved by the Senate, and that's where they get into negotiations. And the Senate says, well, we want to chop this from the House side, and we want to add these 43 things on the Senate side. And then it goes back to the House, and they have the conference committee. And then it has to be signed by the president. So the president has to agree to cutting spending in those programs before they can cut the spending, because he signs off on the budget. He can veto the budget or sign off on the budget. So it, it originates in the House. It can't start elsewhere. But that doesn't mean that they have the final word on what happens. And in the case of the Democrats, since they don't believe in budgets anyway, it's been, what, 10 or 12 years since they last introduced a budget, and that's something that they have to do by law every every year, but they don't do that. What they do is they shut down the government, and then they get into what they call a continuing resolution to fund the government. And this is where Republicans always back down because the media beats their brains out if they don't. And so the Democrats say, well, we're, we're stopping all funding until you, you pay for the government to do these programs. And what they do is they shut down military funding as well. And if the Republicans won't give them a bunch of social programs, then the Democrats won't sign off on the spending bill to allow the, the military to be funded. Well, let's clarify. I, I'm not sure that all Republicans are against a continuing resolution as well. I think yeah, there are you're right. plenty of Republicans who are just as happy to spend lots of money because as long as they get some for their constituents, yeah. as long as they get some of their stuff funded, their pet project, this is where we know there's a swamp on both sides. Yeah. Now, in theory- Now, the swamp is much smaller on the Republican side than the Democrat side, yes. but there is a swamp on both sides. I was going to say, in theory, there's a different moral makeup yeah. of, it's a different value structure generally on the Republican side, at least what's acknowledged publicly, there's a different value structure. But yeah. from some of the leadership, certainly, and, and again, some of these- Republicans known as rhinos on some level, but, but people that are, are Republicans that just don't have the same value system, that there's a lot of them that I think maybe go along a little too quickly with this because they don't have the the backbone, the fortitude, the the ethics, whatever else you will, to recognize that we are, we're not spending our money at this point. We're not even spending our kids' money at this point. Now you're talking about grandkids and great-grandkids, maybe even great-great-grandkids with the the level of spending we are doing. But yes, continued resolution is the way to get it done. And that, as you mentioned, historically, there have been times in the last decade or two, Republicans said, nope, we're not going to do that. And then that's when the media made a really big deal about it. At this point, I, I don't know who the media would make a really big deal about because I, I don't really see... I, I, now, I would love to to have this image of Kevin McCarthy Right, where he would be the guy who would say, we're not going to do it and we'll shut the government down and it's better for the well, American he people. He actually said that this week on the NDAA bill because that's the first spending bill they have coming right now is NDAA, which is the National Defense Authorization Act. And this is where the Democrats love to hang Christmas tree ornaments on the Christmas tree and get every pet program because they know the Republicans are going to vote to fund the military. And that's where they hang every social program on they can think of. But what he said was he wouldn't fund it if they had remained, if they kept the vaccine mandate in place, and, which they right. removed. Yeah. So now, right, that was the one thing he said, we won't do it if that's there and that's gone. So so now maybe they do it. But to, to the listener question point, this is how stuff gets done. They don't have to have a new spending bill. They take a continuing resolution 
which has already at one point it did originate in the house, however many years or decades ago it was. Yeah. And so they don't have to do a new spending bill. They're just adding it on. And is that right? Is it ethical? Is it moral? No. No. It's it's none of the above and it should not be able to work or function. However, it is the way things are going right now. And so until you get a majority of people that come in and say, this is wrong, it's unethical, this is not the way it's supposed to work, until you get people coming in and putting a stop to it, it is the way it is right now until we elect people to change it. And part of that does go back to the media because if the Republicans stand up, you're going to hear a report on Fox that they stood up and 5 million Americans will know they stood up. And if they if they stand up, you're going to hear on the other side from 100 million from MSNBC and CNN and New York Times and Washington Post and all the others about how the Republicans are starving the kids and they're stopping the medical care for seniors and everything else. Well, let me clarify. I don't think they're going to hear 100 million voices from CNN and MSNBC and people that have far less viewership than Fox. It's going to be from your Taylor Swift's from your LeBron James, well, I'm talking the whole, from your the TikTok whole side. stars. Yeah, right, that's but right. this is where... You right, throw on the old Twitter, when, you throw on the right, old Facebook. But when, when, when people think so often about the battle with media, the battle now is not with traditional media. The battle now is with woke individuals on social right, media right. who, when you look at the midterm election, how did Republicans underperform? How did Democrats overperform? And especially the contingent of the Gen Z, where 63% Gen Z are voting Democrat. How did that happen? How did they have such a good turnout because of social media, yeah. TikTok stars, whoever else, encouraging young people? So that's where the battle would be, is those people saying, the Republicans, right, this is where they hate grandma, they want to throw her off the cliff kind of scenario. That's where that comes from. Not from the typical mainstream media anymore, but from more of the social media camp. All right, guys, one final question. This one comes from Michael in Dodge City, Kansas. He asked with the elections uh, going somewhat well and with the new convention of states uh, calls last year, I think it was four or five more states last year, he said, uh, do you think 2023 could possibly be the year that we get the amount of states that we need on board to call for the convention of states? So uh, definitely a lot of momentum, guys. I don't know if we can finish off 15 more states in one year. I, I think that's probably not likely, but we, we do look to hope, hopefully make a lot of progress this year. Yeah, I don't think there's any way it happens because now we have to get blue states to agree to this as well. To get 34 states, we've gotten the red states largely on board. What incentive is there for a blue state to say, we want a convention to go in and stop our liberal practices? That's a hard ask. And this is where the grassroots is going to have to really get fired up in those blue states if you're going to stand a chance. But this is a really, really tough thing. Every one of these states coming now will be a battle, and they get increasingly more difficult, which doesn't mean we get out of the battle for sure, but they're going to become more difficult. Well, and to the point of it being more difficult, when you see places like Arizona that have two Democrat senators, that have a Democrat governor, places that you thought Republicans had a good chance in, when you see some of these states leaning the wrong direction, it does indicate some of the uphill battle that is there where it's certainly it it's doable on some level, but it's it's becoming increasingly uh, harder. It's more of a challenge now based on how some of the states are falling from these previous elections. Well, and I'm always the eternal optimist. There's still uh, quite a few red states where we where we can get it done. And I think some blue states are going to get on board because the Supreme Court's going to keep handing down decisions they don't like. And they're going to start yeah. saying what we've been saying for 50 years. We don't want Washington, D.C. to tell us what to do. Yep. So the one thing we can agree with them on is let California be weird and let Texas be normal. Actually, they don't want to let Texas be normal. We're willing to let liberal states be Weird. They're not willing to let red states be normal, so they may not get on board, but they might do it just out of self-preservation. Time will tell. 
All right, folks, we are out of time for your questions. You can send more into radio at wallbuilders.com, and we look forward to taking more of those next week. Thanks so much for listening. You've been listening to Wall Builders. Thomas Jefferson said, In questions of power, then let no more be heard of confidence in man, but bind him down from mischief by the chains of the Constitution. We stand undivided.